many of the responsibilities of the Christian life are stressful. Uh, medical research shows that stress is a major cause of multiple illnesses. But I will argue there are few jobs, if you want to call it a job, there are few jobs that are more stressful than being a mother. And I think that's especially true in this era of time for a lot of reasons. Sometimes fathers have lost sight of how to be fathers. A lot of times fathers are absent and nowadays there are a lot of mamas that are trying to do both, be mom and be dad. Be mom and be the disciplinarian and do all of it. And it can be difficult. I think just raising children in this particular culture is also stressful. Um, raising kids in a time like now with media at their fingertips and electronics from the time they're young, it's just a different world. And uh, as the world continues to dissolve into chaos, I think it's a stressful thing for mamas right now to be raising children. You might remember in 2015, we had riots in Baltimore. And we've had a lot of riots since then, so your mind may have forgot. But I, wanna, I want you might remember this if you watch the news. In 2015, there were riots in Baltimore, and there was this video clip that was played on all the news stations. It went viral of a mom coming to get her son, who was dressed in his, you know, I would call it riot gear, but it wasn't gear, it was just all black, he had a, a, a face mask on, and she comes and grabs him from the police and slaps her son, and then marches him off. That woman was called the mother of the year in 2015, and for me, her, her, uh, that video, that, that moment, it shows a lot. And I can see why she was called the mother of the year. Like, where was the dad? Why'd mom have to show up? Slap some sense into the boy and bring him home. Where was dad? I think that plays a big part of it. But you know what? At least she was willing to do it. At least she was willing to do whatever dad would not. And there was a certain line that was crossed when she's like, this will not happen with my son, not with my family. And I think it was good she was dubbed the mother of the year. In our text this morning, this Shunammite woman might be also called the mother of the year. She's a woman of faith. She's a woman who had made up her mind that she was going to stand in faith, that she was going to fight for her son. She was not going to allow Satan to take her child. She was a woman of God, yet she was facing great difficulty. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Indeed, all, if you, have, if you like to write in your Bible, underline the word all, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. You know, you hear it a lot, 
at least here anyways, that the Christian life is not a cakewalk. God never promised that it would be. It is tough sometimes. And the promise of God is that everybody who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus will at some point or another face persecution. In 2 Kings, this woman is described as a wealthy woman. Some translations take the word wealthy and just translate it great. But she was missing what was most important, and that was a son. She, even though she didn't have a son to carry on her name, to carry on her lineage, she was faithful to the man of God, she was a woman of God, she was constantly taking care of this man of God, and her day finally came when God said, I'm going to bless you. We learned something from that, that when we are faithful to God, in God's time and in God's way, He always repays. Look what Ephesians 6, 8 says about that. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Thank God for that promise. You know, it's, I, I love how God's word here is vague. This isn't some right name it, claim it. God, God's word didn't say if you give 10 bucks, you're going to get 100 back. God's word didn't say if you do this, here's exactly how the reward is. But here's what he said. When you do good and you're faithful to do good, know this, that God will repay your goodness. And for this woman, that day had come. It was her time, and I want us to look at these few verses that we read to really draw our minds into the narrative. It was time for goodness to fall upon her. In verse 15, Elisha says, call this woman. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God. Do not lie to your servant. In other words, she was like, no, don't, don't tell me that if it's not going to be. Like, do not lie. She'd spent her whole life wanting a son. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, much different than this time that we live in. It wasn't just that she wanted some baby to hold for the experience of being a mom. Like, they needed a son to carry on their lineage. In this era of time, the women did not have legal rights. And so it was possible, the text even tells us her husband was old. It was possible, not always did this happen, but it was legally possible that if you were a woman and you had no sons and your husband died, your property could be taken from you from one of the nearest property owners who would pledge to take care of the property and keep it up. Like, she did not have legal rights. So having a son is a big deal. It wasn't just us. Uh, she wanted the experience of being a mom. This, this deals with financial security. This deals with the legal ability to obtain, continue to obtain her property. This deals with the honor of being able to pass on their name and their lineage. And so when the man of God says, you're going to have a son, and she spent her whole life wishing, and then all of a sudden the man of God says that, her response is like, no, don't you tell me that. 
Don't lie to me. And so this great, this is a great thing that's happening in her life. And in verse 17, it says, but the woman conceived. And she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. God always keeps his word. Always. In our text, the very next couple of verses tells us about the death of the child. It's significant. Doesn't tell us anything about the child's upbringing. Doesn't tell us how many years passed. Doesn't tell us about any of that. It's just like God gave her a son and the son dies. Verse 18, when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. He said to his father, oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. There's a reason that God's word just goes straight into this story. It's teaching us something about this woman of faith and her experience and what she'd been through. One of the lessons is that the devil will fight to take away what God has given you. Sometimes, though, the calamity that happens in your life did not come to discourage you, but rather to wake up the fighter God has put inside of you. This morning, I'm going to say that again in just a moment because it's really the heartbeat of my message to you ladies. If there was ever a time that we need women to raise up with that warrior spirit of faith, it's now, folks. It is now. So I want to say this again. Sometimes the calamity that happens in life doesn't come to discourage you, but rather to wake up the fighter that God put inside of you. And that's exactly what this woman does. In Matthew eleven twelve, 12, it says, The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. The violent take the kingdom of heaven by force. Those are strong words that ultimately, here's what it means. This is a battle. It's not always going to be easy. And if you're going to live victorious in your faith and you're going to win the battles that come your way, there's going to have to be some grit about you, this warrior spirit about you that says, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm, it might be a fight, but I would rather fight till I die than roll over and give up. I am a warrior. God's spirit is in me. I am God's daughter, and I will not give up. I will not turn over. I will not lay down and die. I will fight. And if we're going to win the battles that we face, there's a certain attitude of like the violent take it by force. And you've got to know that about your faith. It is just not always going to be easy. There are times that you're going to have to dig down deep and say, I don't understand it all. I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through, but I will not give up. I will not give up on God. I will not quit being, I'm going to be obedient to God no matter what I'm going through. This was the Shunammite woman. Her story is one of great faith, great reward, great warfare, and great victory. She was a woman of God before God ever gave her the son. She remained a woman of God even after her son died. She was determined to see God raise her son back to life. She 
was a warrior. She was a woman that knew what it meant to fight by faith. She was truly a woman of God. And this morning, as we look at her, I want to look at four characteristics of a woman of God. Number one, notice she harnesses her emotions. She harnesses her emotions. Just imagine the emotions that she felt throughout the entire story. We see a woman who keeps her emotions harnessed. And I'm going to explain that word harnessed in a moment. It's a very important word. But first of all, consider when the prophet comes and says, anything that you want, just ask. Anything that you want, just ask. Her response was this, I dwell among my own people. That's a strange response to us in 2023. You might not really understand what what answer is that, but here's what it meant. It meant that she did not have any need. She had everything she needed. She had a home. She had a dwelling place. She was around her own people, surrounded by Relatives and friends and family. I mean, what more could a person need? And that was her answer to any question, anything she wanted. She gives no request. She simply says, I have everything that I need. We see her harnessing her emotions in that scenario. But I want you to think about the harnessing of the emotions When the son had died. It tells us that she laid her son upstairs on the prophet's bed. And then went, shut the door and went downstairs and talked to her husband. And told her husband, get me a donkey, get me a servant, fast. I've got to get to the man of God. And the husband says, why Why would you go bother him today? Her answer is, all is well. Don't worry about it. I think there's two possible reasons she said this and answered her husband the way she did. Number one, I think she had faith that somehow, some way, God's going to deal with this situation. He made me a promise. But I also believe there was a part of her that was like, well, if I tell him that he's dead... He won't let me go. He'll say it's already done. What are you going to go get the prophet for? I think it might have been both. The Bible doesn't tell us. But what we do know is this woman came down and was at least collected and calm enough to be able to deal with the situation and harness her emotions. I want to talk about harnessing your emotions as a woman of God and why it's an important characteristic. First of all, Emotions are good. They are part of God's creation. God did not not create us to be stoic, non-feelers. Anger is part of the emotions that God built into us. And if it's done right, anger motivates. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. So it's possible to be angry and yet not sin. The anger in and of itself is not a sin, but when we don't harness that anger, 
and we just let it fly all over the place and decide we're going to say hurtful things and we're going to do hurtful things, then we've crossed the line. Joy, sadness, confusion, a lot of the things that we experience in and of themselves aren't bad so long as the emotion is harnessed. An emotion is a powerful tool. It motivates. That's why I use the word harness. It's get, get, in, get in your mind the picture of putting a bit in a horse's mouth. A horse is a very powerful creature. But when you put the bit in its mouth, you can harness the power of that horse and turn it where it needs to go and have it do what it needs to do. It's not that it loses its power, but that its power is controlled. So it is with emotions. They need to be harnessed. Now, I'm going to make a statement that could be offensive. Hopefully it's not because it's Mother's Day and I don't want to offend mothers. But hear me out. Generally speaking, women are not as good at harnessing their emotions as men. Generally speaking, women tend to be creatures that are more apt to let their emotions control them. This is one of the reasons that God, generally speaking, calls men to be leaders instead of women. It's not that we don't feel, but in his design, we tend to, as men, do a better job making rational decisions, basically taking the emotion part and saying, yes, I'm mad, yes, this is hurtful, but I'm going to kind of put this over here for now, and, and we're, we're going to deal with what's ahead of us rationally, generally. A woman of God has to learn to a degree to do that same thing. Harness the emotions. It's not that the emotions are bad because emotions are powerful and they, they are this great force that drive us to do things. Anger can be a very important force. Sadness can be an important force. You know, a, a, a sense of awareness that something's wrong and something needs to happen, that can be a powerful force. But we can't let the emotions just run all over the place. It's got to be harnessed. And we see that with this great woman of God, if there's anybody whose emotions would seem like this, it'd be this woman here. But she was consistent, she harnessed her emotions, and she moved forward. Number two. Notice she stands on God's promises. The woman of God stands on God's promises. Do not expect anything short of God's promises to happen. Now, I've already touched on this, but I want you to really understand the promise that was made to her. She was promised she would have a son. You've got to understand, she understood, the prophet understood, everybody understood, that wasn't just the promise of giving birth to a child to hold, and that was it. The promise of a son was a promise that she would have an heir to carry on the family lineage to legally help her continue to have possession of her property and lands in the home when the husband did eventually pass away. 
this was the promise. And so when the boy died, she's saying, no, 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 man of God. You told me I would have a son. And so she goes to the man of God, and she reminds the man of God, hey, I'm not the one that asked for this. You told me this was the promise. And there was this part of her, like all of us at times, we don't understand what God is doing. We don't understand why this scenario has played out the way it has. It doesn't all seem to make sense. We're like, God, I thought you said, Lord, I thought this was what was going to happen. And then life takes a different course. And it's in those moments that the man or woman of God has to understand, I'm going to stand on God's promises. I don't fully understand how it's going to work. I don't know how God's going to do what God's going to do. His ways are higher than my ways, but I believe God. It doesn't matter what I'm facing. It doesn't matter how hard it seems. It doesn't matter if I don't understand the situation. God, I know your word is true, and I will stand on your word and expect nothing less than you, God, to be faithful to your promises. Number three. Notice she has an urgency to find heavenly help. She has an urgency to find heavenly help. She was going to get to the man of God whatever it took. Our text tells us that she even told the servant Go, and you go hard. Do not slow the pace for me. Unless you hear me yell to slow down, do not slow down. I will keep up. We're going to get to the man of God. Time is of the essence. There was an urgency. She had a heavenly need. She needed God to do something that only God can do, and she was going to do whatever it took to get to the people that she knew in her life that could help some way, somehow. She didn't even know how they were going to help. But here's what she knew. I've got to get there as fast as possible. Brothers and sisters, we have got to have people in our life that we are willing to go to with a sense of urgency when we need true heavenly help. This Christian life is a battle that is not meant to be battled alone. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. And every one of us should have one, two, three people in our life that when you have a need, you are urgent. I use that word urgent. You are urgent to let them know. Why wait? Why wait till things spin out of control? Now, this woman's scenario is a little bit different. Obviously, it's not like the boy was sick for weeks and she waited till he was dead. It all happened very fast. But practically, for most of us, a lot of us wait way too long and we have no urgency about getting heavenly help. We want to fight our battles all by ourselves. We don't want anybody to know what we're struggling with. We don't want anybody to know that we're going through hard times. And the great woman of God is a woman that will have a sense of urgency when there's a sense that things are wrong and we need God to do something. She will have an urgency about getting to people that can help her pray, that can reach heaven with her and see help come. And men, this is a lesson for us as well. We, we tend to probably struggle with this even worse than the ladies. We want to do everything ourselves. I'm 43 years old, been serving God now for 23 years. 
and really, I would just say recently in my life, as in, you know, last three to five years, I have learned to have a, a greater sense of urgency when there's a need. Like, why wait till it gets really bad? Send a text. Let the people in my life that pray for me know what's going on. Instead of waiting until it all falls apart and it's really bad. And then just stop, man. Just have a sense of urgency. Have a sense of awareness. There's a need right now. Let's deal with this now. Let's, let's pray about this now. Let's go to God about this now. Let's not let this spiral out of control. And there needs to be a sense of urgency in our willingness to get people involved in our lives, to pray with us. This woman was urgent to find heavenly help. She was on a mission. And Number four. Notice, she was determined to be victorious. She was determined to be victorious. You've got to have a determination to win. You know, I want you to note, before all of this, she was faithful to God into the later years of her life without a son. She was content... I mean, she, she found the, you know, the, she had the right mindset. Like, whatever God had given her, she was content with. She had never expected a son. Here's a woman that's still serving God. She's being, helping, you know. She's so concerned about the things of God. She talks to her husband. She's like, hey, let's build a house for the man of God. He's coming by all the time. We feed him every time he comes by. Let's just build a little tiny room for him up on the top of the house where he's got his own little space. If he wants to lay down, he can lay down. I mean, this was a woman who was thinking about serving others. She was faithful to God. She was faithful to God's people long before any of these events happened. And she was faithful through the, into the later years of her life, even though everything wasn't perfect. She didn't have everything she needed, but she knew this. God was good. He was worth serving. God's people were worth serving. And she just lived with that mindset. That's a mindset of like, I'm going to be victorious in whatever situation I'm in. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul when he said, I've learned the secret of contentment, of being satisfied or being at peace with whatever situation I'm in. And that is, I can do all things through Christ. I know what it is to have nothing. I know what it is to have what I need. I know what it is to have freedom. I know what it is to be in chains and be imprisoned. I, I know what it is to be loved. I know what it is to be beaten with stripes. Like, I know how to suffer, I, it does, whether, whether I have plenty or whether I'm in want, whether I've got all that I need or whether there's a lot that I need. I have learned in every situation and in every circumstance to be content. See, that's a mindset of victory. That's a mindset that says, I am determined to be victorious no matter what I go through, no matter what I'm facing, I will not live in defeat. I will not live like a victim. I will not focus on what I don't have. Instead, I will focus on God and His goodness and who He is. I will focus on what God has done in my life. And I will refuse to accept defeat, to live defeated, to live as a victim. You have to have this determination to win. And we see that determination in her character when her son dies, it was like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm getting to the man of God. We're going to have a conversation about this. And he's going to come to this house is what's going to happen. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to bring him here. And then I'm going to put it on him. Like there was this certain determination about her that I'm not giving up. 
I'm not the one that's going to roll over here. I'm going to go do my part, whatever I have to, to win here. We need some determined women of God. Women of faith who are determined that you're not going to give up. You're not going to lose. I think about Jacob. He wrestled with the angel all night long, it tells us, and ultimately said, I will not let go except you bless me. Elisha, the prophet of our text, Elisha had a mentor whose name was Elijah. A lot of people get the two confused, and it can be confusing because they were actually together, and you, but Elisha, with an S and an H, is not the same as Elijah, with a J. Elisha's mentor was Elijah. And Elijah basically told Elisha, it's time for us to separate. I'm, I've got to go. And Elisha said, no, we're not going to separate. And I will not leave you until God blesses me with a double portion of the power that you have. And we're reading now about that double portion that God gave him. That double portion of power. This woman was determined that if God gave her a child, he was also able to resurrect the child. And she just had that mindset of victory. Now I want to conclude with a really, really important fact about our story. If you want to be a great woman of God, I do not recommend focusing on these traits that we see in this woman. These traits are characteristics of a great woman of God. I would say it this way. She wasn't a great woman of God because she did these things. No, she did these things because she was a great woman of God. These things are more like the apple on an apple tree. You walk up to the tree and you see apples on it and you know that's an apple tree. These traits are something. You, you walk up to the great woman of God and you see these traits. You're like... Now that, that right there, that's a great woman of God. But it's not the traits that make her that. The most important thing is being a woman of God. How do we do that? How do you ladies be a great woman of God? The answer is simpler than what you might think. Be with God. You want to be a great woman of God, you've got to be with God. It really comes down to falling in love with God, making Him first in your life, spending time with Him. Not just coming to church, but spending time with God. Time in the Word, time here reading, time in your own personal private place of prayer. Time seeking Him. It takes it's time. And as you fall in love with God and you allow God to, to have His way with you, you know the Word of God promises that as we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And so just develop that discipline of regularly drawing near to God, allowing God to draw near to you, spend time with God. And as you become this great woman of God, as you mature in your faith, here's what you'll find. These characteristics, they start to sort of just show themselves. You'll find all of a sudden that you're harnessing your emotions a little bit better. 
you'll find that you're standing on the promises of God. You'll, you'll, you'll find that these characteristics begin to just develop. Maybe this morning you need to get serious about your own life with God. Maybe this morning you've got a mother in your life that's showed some of these traits. And you need to let her know how much you appreciate her. You need to let her know how much you love her for being there and being a woman of God. I'm going to ask our worship team if you guys would come. Mamas, I mean this truly. We need mamas with a Christian heart, a warrior spirit to rise up in this culture and fight for our children. We, we need more of, of that woman in 2015 that said, no, enough's enough. Not in my house. You're my son. You're my daughter. No. It's time to send a message. We literally have to drag them off the corner. We're not going to lose more of our children to the corrupt society. We need some godly mothers. I would even call them devil-defeating women of God. Women that will stand and say, if I must fight, bring it on. I am more than a comfort to him who loves me. I'm going to close with this. As I was putting this sermon together, I was truly, truly thinking about the vast number of awesome women of God here as well. I don't want to start calling people out and get anybody's feelings hurt. We already talked about how you ladies are more emotional than me. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. But I literally this week started thinking about the huge number of great women of God here at well, I'm like, man, we're blessed. And I want to encourage you ladies, keep being who you are. We need you more than you know.